0: All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, and that's where we'll be spending our time this morning. And this is one of the great moments uh, in the, the Gospel of Matthew. I, I don't think you can find a much greater passage in the Gospel of Matthew than what we're going to look at today. I think it's one of the great moments in the life of Jesus, from the time he's born to the time he's risen again. This is one of the pivotal moments in his life. I think this is one of the most uh, unforgettable moments uh, memorable moments in the life of the disciples this is something that's going to be etched in their memories uh, three of these guys etched in their memory uh, from this moment on they'll never forget this and for us here today and I want I, to say this I think it's holy ground for us today this is not something for us to, to play around with this is not something for us to be silly with we get to see today and I titled the sermon that we get to see today just a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ and it, that's what it is, it's just a glimpse, it's just a moment, it's, it's just a, I'll, I'll call it this, it's just a little taste of heaven today. We get to see a glimpse of the glory of Christ. So let's all stand together, I'm going to read 13 verses to you this morning, I know that's a lot for what we're used to, but i want to read these 13 verses, and I want to give you a glimpse of the glory of Christ. Again, this is, this is holy ground to us today, and, and to be honest with you, I've not heard too many sermons on this passage. I've never preached this passage before, and I don't know why. This is a marvelous, phenomenal passage that we're going to get to study today. Uh, You're here on a good day. People online are watching on a good day. This is a great passage. So Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1, the Word of God says, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, you notice that three times he says behold. It's almost like he's so surprised. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, Tell the vision to no man, until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must, come, must first come? And Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly shall first come and, and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already. And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. So there they are at the bottom of the mountain, and the moment is over. The glimpse is over. So let's go ahead and pray together, and then we'll study this this great passage. Father, we thank you for uh, moments like these, that in the study of your word, we've just come across one of the great passages in all the Bible. And we're here on a good day to study it. And God, I know my limitations in studying it. I know my limitations in preaching it. Uh, So God, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to come upon me with power and enable me to preach this with precision, with power, with truth, with, with uh, uh, conviction. Help me today to preach this passage, this holy ground. And God, I pray that you'd help the people, the hearers here in, in the, the church today and the hearers that are online today. Please, God, give us all ears to hear. And God, may this do to us what it did to the disciples that it will be etched in our memories from this day forward until we see you in your in all your glory and we ask and pray these things in jesus name amen you can be seated martin luther the great reformer of the 1500s had a great quote and i want to quote it to you here Uh, he said that he had two days circled on his calendar only two days mattered to him And the two days that he had circled on his calendar, the two days that he had circled on his schedule, the two days that mattered the most to him were these two days. It was today. And when he says today, he means that right now, that this is in this moment, right now, in this time, that day matters to him. That today is a day that matters to him. And the Bible is very clear on that, that today is a very important day. Right now is where we ought to focus our attention. Right now. And I, I, the Bible says today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Today is that time. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the, today is the day of salvation. The Bible is very clear that that day ought to be circled on all of our calendars. That we're not looking in the in the, in the past. We're not looking at tomorrow. Today is a day that's circled on our calendars. We live for today. So that was the first day that Martin Luther had, had circled on his calendar. And the second one was, he said, I, I live for today and I live for that day. That day was on his calendar. You say, what day is, is that day? That day is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That day is circled on his calendar. That day is the day when Jesus Christ will return. And we need to know that. Maybe some of you don't know that. Well, you know Jesus came the first time. But we need to understand that Jesus is coming back again. He's not done. He's coming back. We've not seen the last of Him. Uh, Paul says that Jesus will come back with a shout. The book of Hebrews says He will return a second time. It'll be bodily. It'll be visibly. It'll be personally. It'll be triumphantly. It'll be gloriously. I could keep going. Jesus will return and set up His kingdom where He will rule and He will reign for all eternity. Jesus is coming back. And Martin Luther said, I have today on my calendar, and I have in my sights, in my eyes, that day. I'm looking to that day. I'm looking onto the horizon of when Jesus will return. You say, why did he say that? Because looking at that day, the second coming of Christ, will dramatically affect how we live today. That's what he, that's what he's saying there, that when we keep our eyes in the future, that Jesus is coming back, it'll change how we live in the present right now. So we need to keep an eye, one eye on today and one eye on that day. That's what he's saying there. Why? Because it'll give us strength for today. See, knowing that Christ is coming back helps me to live right now. Knowing that Christ is coming back gives me strength for today, hope for tomorrow. It helps me to live right now. Knowing, get this, that there's more to life than right now. That it won't always be like it is today. That there's something to look forward to and that the best is yet to come. That's good. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing for His disciples here in Matthew 17. He wants to give them hope for today by showing them A glimpse of that day. He has already shown them today what they're going through right now. And if you've been with us, I want to give you the context of this. Because it doesn't just happen like Jesus is saying, alright, I'll be transfigured today. He's doing this for a reason, for a purpose. And He's doing it because, get this, He just told them for the very first time, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'll be risen again. He told them the plan, and the plan involved not crowns, but a crown of thorns. The plan involved not a throne, but suffering. And they didn't like that. Their heads were hanging low. They were depressed about this news. Peter even said, no, that's not in the plan. And then Jesus goes on and says, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then you're going to have to pick up a cross and follow me. And you're going to be in pain. And you're going to be persecuted. And you might die a martyr's death. It's not going to be easy for you. So he's told them this is what's going to happen to me. This is what's going to happen to you. Today looks very bad. A lot of bad news Jesus has just given them. And get this, we get a lot of bad news today too. Everywhere we turn is bad news. Every voice we listen to is bad news. Every channel is full of bad news. Social media is full of bad news. Today looks very dim. It looks very dark. So what do they need in this time of darkness? What do we need in our time of darkness in today? We need to look ahead at that day. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. And Look with me there. Because in verse 27, He gives, us, gives them a hint of this. Matthew sixteen twenty-seven. He says, for the Son of Man will come again in glory the next time. He tells them there, He's giving them just a a little bit of hope that He's going to come in glory. He's going to come in full, blazing glory of the Father in heaven. It'll be a lot different this time. He came the first time in weakness. He's coming back in power. The first time He came and nobody paid attention, and the next time, every eye will see. I'm coming in glory. I'm coming with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels, Jesus tells them there, I'm coming again. First time He's mentioned it. First time in Matthew that we've heard of a second coming of Jesus Christ. And He's doing it to give them just a little bit of hope so they can keep on living. If we know that that day is glorious, we can live through some suffering and persecution in this day. If we look to that day and know that it's not always going to be like it is right now. He's going to come back and he's going to reward those who serve him and live for him and love him. If we know that, we can make it through a whole lot right now. If we have hope of tomorrow, we can live today. So Jesus here shows them there's so much hope here. He, says, he tells them in verse 27, I want to come in glory with, with angels, and I'll reward you. And then in verse 28, which we didn't read last week, he says, and there'll be some of you who won't taste death before you'll see a little glimpse of that. There'll be some of you who won't die. And when he says some, he means three of them. I'm going to take three of you up into the mountain, and I'm going to show you just a little bit. Just give you a little taste of what's to come. And that's what we're going to look at today. He says it's just a little taste of heaven. A little, a little glimpse of glory as he takes them behind the curtain, pulls back the veil, and shows them what awaits them at that day and what awaits us at that day. Just a little glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. So let's get that preview. Let's get that glimpse and let's look at it. A glimpse of the glory of Christ. I found three points I want to give you here this morning and just to kind of break up the passage. So, number one, I want to show you the unveiled glory of Christ. The unveiled glory of Christ. You guys know what a veil is? Uh, At at a wedding, a bride would come up the aisle and she'd be wearing a veil. (laughs) And you watch her walk down the aisle. I remember watching Steph walk down the aisle. It was years ago and I still remember it. It was etched in my mind. And when you get up front and you take that veil off, it's unveiling the bride. Wow. You know? And here in this point, Jesus unveils his glory. Pulls back the curtain to where we can see his nature that's been on the inside. That's been hidden by the flesh. He pulls back the veil and says, here I am. The unveiled glory of Christ. Look what it says. Verse one, after six days. So Jesus made him a promise in verse 28. Some of you, you won't taste death and you'll see what the son of, the son of man coming is going to look like. And then six days later, about a week later, he keeps that promise and he gets three disciples and he says, let's go up into a mountain. And he picks three disciples and he picks uh, his, his inner circle, those three that are the closest to him, those three that are always by his side, those three that are kind of always right there shoulder to shoulder with him. They're there with him in his hardest times. They're there with him in his best times. And he picks those three, Peter, James, and John. He says, let's go up into a mountain. He's taking two or three witnesses with him. Because the Bible says that you always have to have two or three witnesses. So he takes three witnesses up into the mountain with him. We don't know what mountain it is. I've heard, I've read commentaries. I don't need to get into it, but I've read commentaries this week that said, it's this mountain, it's this mountain. I've heard every mountain that you could think of, but high know. It's, it's every mountain. So I want to get into what mountain it is. We know from Scripture that it was a very high mountain. And I want you to think about this. This is basically a theological field trip for these three guys. He says, three of you, come on. We're going up into the mountain. And I think as you look at this, he's taking them from today and he's taking them up like he's going up into heaven for a vision to show them that day. Down here would be today, up there will be that day. So they go on this walk up to the mountain on a theological field trip. And it's at night. Luke says that it's dark time that the disciples get up in there and this is what happens. They get up into the top of the mountain. The disciples fall asleep because that's what they do. And Jesus starts to pray. Nighttime, in a mountain, high mountain. Disciples fall asleep. Jesus begins to pray. Jesus prays because he needs to talk to the Father. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's going to suffer. He knows he's going to die. And he needs the encouragement from the Father. And what happens next is unlike anything that's ever happened in the history of the world. Let me read verse 1 to you again. And after six days, Jesus picks Peter, James, and John. And he takes them up into a high mountain apart where it's just four of them. And the Bible so in such simplicity here says, And he was transfigured before them. It's a remarkable statement. While he was praying... In the midst of his conversation with the Father, he's transfigured. And you say, what in the world does transfigured mean? Transfigured means that there was a metamorphosis that took place. That there was a transformation that took place. That He is, and that what the word means is transfigured, is that there was a total and dramatic change in Jesus. A change come over Jesus where He didn't even look like he, he looked when they walked up in the mountain. When they looked at Him, they had to say, that's not who came up with us, this is something different. That's like caterpillar, butterfly. There's a metamorphosis that took place. There's a transformation that happened here. He's totally different. And how so? What's the description? The disciples never describe Jesus' physical appearance in four Gospels, but here they describe what they see. They look up at Him, and what's changed about Him? First, His face. He had the face of a man walking up that mountain. He looked no different than anybody else in the world. You couldn't pick Jesus out of a crowd. He had no form. There was no comeliness about him. No halo around his head where he walked around and said, oh, there he is, there's the Son of God. A normal human man in flesh walking up that mountain. And you look into him. his face now and what does it say? His face did shine as the sun. Revelation 1, John says, his face shined like the sun in the noonday. And again, get this, it's night time. I want you to get this picture. It's dark on that mountain. All you can see is the moon and the, and the stars. And all of a sudden, in his face, is the brightest sun you could ever see. I don't know if you got I've done it this week. because It says it, it's almost like the, it's like the sun. So this week I thought, at noon I'm going to go outside the church in the parking lot where the sun's beaming down on me and I'm going to look up at it. <laughs> it's not very smart. I immediately, I mean, I tried. I was, I was, I was hiding my eyes. I can't look for very long. And I thought, that's what they saw in the face of Jesus as he's he's changed. He's he's transformed. He's he's transfigured. He's not like he was. His face was the face of a man. Maybe maybe he had a beard. Maybe he was rough. Maybe he was sun tanned. And now it's not sun tanned. It's the sun beaming down on them. They'd never seen anything like that in their life. And then it says, and his clothes was as white as the light. You know what that is? In the Greek that is white as lightning. And it's not his clothes. He didn't have some special clothes on, some angelic clothes. It's the light from inside. is making the clothes look like lightning is coming out of them (laughs) Uh, If you read the other uh, accounts of this in in Mark and in Luke, it says that He's glistening. It says that it's dazzling. It says that it's shining. It says that it's flashing light like the the glitter of a diamond. And that behind Him, imagine this, is a black backdrop. And now His face is like the sun. His his clothes is glittering and shining and and lightning coming out of it. This is an amazing thing. What was hidden, that, that was always there. This isn't something new. Jesus has just taken back the veil and showed them what's always been on the inside. What's on the inside is now coming out on the outside. What's hidden, what was beneath, the humanity and and, in humanity and flesh, it was hidden. But now the glory of God is shining through Jesus. It's like they turned on the divine light bulb and the light just came shining out on full display what was on the inside unseen is now on the outside for all to see and as they're standing there and as we're seeing this there should be no doubt in our minds who Jesus is we've heard him say he's God we've heard that with our ears we've seen what he's done in the miracles and said that has to be God now with their very eyes they see the glory of God on that mountain I can't imagine what the other disciples at the bottom of the mountain looking up there Wonder what's going on up there it's like an Exodus 33 moment that Moses is up there just show me a glimpse of your glory and he hides it behind the cliff of a rock and he passes by and Moses comes down with his face glittering itself looking up at the mountain saying, that's like the sun shining up there lightning going off up there It's the transfiguration of Christ. Now get this, and I'll move on. This was just a moment for them. They didn't get much of this. It's like Moses again, just to pass by. Because you can't look at that long and survive. So it's just a glimpse. It's just a moment. It's like Jesus saying, veil taken back. And he stands there in all of his glory. And three disciples look up at him. temporary exhibition of the glory of christ but understand this and it wasn't even in its fullness just a glimpse just a passing by but the bible says that when he returns we will see him in the fullness of his glory and it won't be a glimpse it'll be for eternity get this and I want you don't have to turn there but Matthew chapter 24 and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this but I found this just just out of this world how the Bible just ties all these things in together because Matthew 24 talks about his his second his his, his coming back his second coming Matthew 24 I think it's verse 29 if I can find it. It says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from the heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Do you see that? I mean, everything will go dark in the world. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory amazing picture i'll give you another one matthew 25 31 if you guys just want to follow me on this matthew 25 31 it says when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory this is just a glimpse of what we will see when jesus returns on that day i can take you to revelation 19 i don't think i have time for it so let's go ahead and go to revelation 19 (laughs) you guys know me too well verse 11 and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses and clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And on his vesture and on his thigh he had a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We will see him not in humility, but we'll see him in glory. We'll see him not coming to suffer and to die, but to rule and to reign as a sovereign king of the universe. He's coming back in all of his glory. And this is just a glimpse of it. So this is the unveiled glory of Christ. This is how He returns. People love to see Jesus. And I I love the meek and the mild servant who goes to the cross, who suffers and dies, who goes to Jerusalem, who suffers, who dies, who dies at the hands of criminals, who dies at the hands of these religious people, who dies for our sins. I love that picture. But we need to see not only what happened in that day, but what's going to happen in the future day when He returns. I love that picture of the glory of Christ. It's the unveiled glory of Christ. Back to Matthew 17, if you will, we'll look at point number two. Not just the unveiled glory of Christ, but I want to show you the undeniable glory of Christ because now it's explained to them. It's an undeniable. What happens here? Watch. It just gets. You think it just gets better. I mean, you guys like point one. Watch point two. It says in verse three, "And behold," and he uses this again three times here. And the word "behold" means. And surprised, you know, like they were surprised already. Jesus is transfigured in front of them, shining like the sun down upon him. And then all of a sudden, and behold, there's something else to the story. There was four of us, and now <laughs> there's six. Who is it? There's two men standing with Christ. Who is it? If you could pick two people out of the Old Testament to bring with you, who would you pick? Samson. <laughs> Gideon, we're talking. You know, we're studying judges. Who would you pick? David, Samuel, Adam, Abraham. Jesus brings with him two witnesses. He brings two or three witnesses up with him. He brings two witnesses down with him to attest to. And I say two witnesses. He actually brings three witnesses with him. The first two we'll see here, and then he has a, a third one there at the end. That's the the, the greatest witness ever. So he brings two or three witnesses up with him. He brings two or three witnesses down with him. He wants to confirm to these guys what's going on up here. And watch what he says. He brings with him who? Moses. You guys know Moses. And Elijah. You say, why in the world did he bring those two? Why did he pick them? And I've got a couple reasons for you here. Number one, I think it's because they represent the entirety of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is called the Law and the Prophets. Moses was the the giver of the Law, and Elijah was the greatest prophet. So this represents the entirety of the Old Testament, and, they, and, and it's them standing there as witnesses, saying the Law points to Jesus and the Prophets point to Jesus. It's one big biblical finger pointing at Jesus, saying everything we said was about Him, looking to Him, pay attention to Him. It's about nobody but Jesus. So there's the, the representation of all the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. And then I think they're reliable witnesses, because these, the, these are the two people that are, that are most trusted. You say, well, how did, <laughs> how did the disciples know it was Moses and Elijah? I mean, it's hundreds of years later. Did they have name tags on? Moses. Hello, my name is Moses. Hello, my name is Elijah. Did Jesus introduce them, say, here's Moses, Moses, here's the disciples, Elijah, here's the disciples, they didn't shake hands, they gave an elbow, we're still socially distant. I don't know how they knew their names. And then the last thing is I think he brought these two with him to encourage them. Because get this, Moses and Elijah has been gone for hundreds of years. The Bible says that they have no idea where Moses' body was buried. The Bible says God buried him, and nobody knows where it's at. The Bible says that the devil wanted Moses' body, the demons. So they don't know where he's at. They don't know where he's been. He's dead and gone, and there's kind of a question of what happened to Moses. And then Elijah, he had his own little rapture. He left in chariots of fire. He didn't even die. Where did he go? We just saw him take off. What happened to Elijah? And now, after all these years, hundreds of years has passed, and they don't know where Moses is gone. They don't know where Elijah went. And now Jesus brings them down and he looks at him and says, There is life after death. This is where he's been. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord hundreds of years later. You know where they've been? They've been with me. That's good news. I like that. That's what they need to hear. That they're getting ready to suffer and die themselves. And they're going to say, you know what? I'm going to be with Jesus when I'm gone. I know it. I saw. That's good. In the presence of God for centuries. Where do we go when we die? Absent from this place. present in that place. Stephen was getting stoned. And the first thing he saw was the Son of Man standing. Greeting us when we die. That's encouraging. You know what else I like? He knew who they were. They didn't have any wings. You know, They didn't gain their angel wings when they died. They are who they are. There's no, there's no wings. There's no floating spirits. There's no unidentifiable aspects of them. Who is that? Is that an angel? No, that's Moses and that's Elijah. So when you see me in heaven, you know what you're going to say? It won't be Josh floating around as an angel with angel wings. That's Josh! You be known as you are. This is good stuff. Amen. And what are they doing? Are they just standing there with Jesus with their arms crossed? Look at us. <laughs> no. Look what it says. And behold, there was... I did a lot of preaching on, on Moses and Elijah. I'm sorry. So, and behold, there's two standing with him. Moses and Elijah. And what are they doing? See, they're sitting there watching this. You know, they were asleep getting sleep out. Is this real? You know? <laughs> Boy, this is a weird dream. I shouldn't ate that goat earlier. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and look what it says they're doing. Talking with Jesus. It's like they've been with him for hundreds of years. And they're having a conversation back and forth between each other. And you don't have to turn there. But Luke says, same thing. Because you're saying, what are they talking about? I bet you they're talking about politics. (laughs) Who's going to win the upcoming election? (laughs) No. They're talking about the theme of heaven. They're talking about what all of heaven is talking about. Watch this. You guys are going to be floored by this. Verse 31 of Luke 9. Who appeared in glory, and they spoke of his... Decease, which he should accomplish when he goes to Jerusalem. They're talking about the same plan that Jesus had given the disciples. They're having a conversation. Moses may sit there and say, you know, you remember how I died? Nobody knows where my body's at. Elijah, I had the greatest exit in the history of the world. I took off on a chariot. And Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hand of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of the universe. I'm going to have the greatest exit in the history of the world. And then I'm going to come back. And they're having a conversation about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Because what else is heaven going to talk about? They talk about who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished. What we preach, Christ and Him crucified, is the theme of the conversation on the Mount of Transfiguration and the theme of all the glory of heaven. The One who shed His blood. All of the angels are looking into this. And it's telling to the disciples the plan that Jesus just gave you is the plan that we've been talking about for hundreds of years. This is not just going to happen Out of nowhere, this has been planned before the foundation of the world. This is God's plan. They're talking about confirming the plan. The disciples may be sitting there saying, as they heard Jesus talk about it, that's not real, that's not going to happen, everything's out of control. But they hear this conversation and they're saying, that's exactly how it's supposed to go. He's supposed to die. So everything's going perfect. I mean, it's great. That scene is awesome. And then Peter opens his big mouth. You, You guys get this? I hope you do. There's a time to speak. I'm trying to teach my kids this. There's a time to speak. And there's a time to shh. Be quiet. And it's very good to know which is which. I've been in so, so many of situations where I want to say something. they I think, no, 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 now's not the time. Some people need to know that about Facebook. There's a time to post. <laughs> and there's a time to say, no. Peter didn't understand that. And Peter, in the midst of this, this <laughs> think about Peter. He had no control over his own tongue. He didn't know that now is the time just to shh. There's Jesus in his glory. There's, there's Moses and there's Elijah. They're having a conversation about, about what's going to happen in the future, how Jesus is going to depart, how He's going to die for our sins. And Peter says, Hey! I got an idea. Shh! Don't do that! What does he say? In the middle of all this, Peter says, Jesus, Lord, Master. That's, that's a, good, a good start, Peter. Curios, Lord. He says, look what it says it is good for us to be here he's saying this is the best thing that's ever happened to me I love this this is what I've been waiting for I hate what's happening down there suffering and dying we have no friends, we have no money we have nothing I like this glory let's stay here and that's what he's saying let's build some tents we don't have to go back down there we don't have to go suffer, we don't have to go die we don't have to be martyred let's don't go back down let's just stay up here we like this day we don't like today let's build three tabernacles one for Moses one for Elijah and one for Jesus and we'll just a tabernacle a They'll build tents we'll just camp out of here we'll never have to leave this is Peter trying to get out of suffering again he just said earlier and, and to, to Jesus no it won't happen and Jesus said get behind me Satan it's got to happen we can't stay here So Peter has this big plan. Let's skip all the bad stuff. And while he's talking, (laughs) there's another behold. I think he was interrupted. I think he had more to say. I think he was right in the middle of saying, let's build a tent for (laughs) Elijah and Moses and Jesus and Peter and James and John. Let's forget the other guys. And right in the middle of him saying, let's build tents. Let's just stay here. Let's just camp out. I never want to leave this. You can stay like you are. We can stay like we are. It'll be great. He's interrupted. By who? It's almost like God the Father says, be quiet, Peter. <laughs> Shh. Stop it. Because look what, what happens. And behold. you see. Every time you see the word behold, think, surprise. <laughs> After all this, do you think there could be more surprised? I mean, (laughs) and something else. What's what's else? Verse 5, a bright cloud overshadowed them. The Shekinah glory of God overshadowed them. It's all over the Old Testament. But there's a cloud by day that, that led Israel in the wilderness. There was a great shining light that led the wise men to where Jesus was born. It was just the kind of glory of God. And here this bright, shining cloud came over top of every single one of them. Behold a cloud. And not just a cloud, but a voice out of the cloud. And the voice out of the cloud, the thundering, overpowering voice like a, a thunder from heaven where the guys who are down at the bottom of the mountain would say, a storm's coming. No, it's just the voice of the Father speaking at the top of the mountain. And He says, the Father speaking about the Son. Two members of the Trinity in the same place at the same time. Voice from heaven. Jesus in all of His glory. Big Trinitarian passage. And the Father says, This is my beloved. Now again, I think this isn't just to confirm the disciples. I think this is to confirm in Jesus. I love you, son. This is my most beloved son. The word is agape there. This is my highest of love, son. In whom I'm well pleased. The father cannot say that about anybody else but Jesus. He can't look down at any other religious leader anywhere else and say, I'm pleased with him. Only Jesus gets that statement. It's a divine finger. We saw Moses and Elijah were the biblical finger confirming who Jesus is and not just confirming who He is. I think the baptism confirmed to them who He is. I think this is confirming not just the man in Matthew 3, but the plan now in Matthew 17. Because He's sitting there saying this is who He is, but now the divine finger of the Father is pointing at the Son and saying everything He has done and everything He's saying He's going to do I'm pleased with. The plan is good. That's that's great. He's confirming to Jesus, you're on the right track. You're going the right direction. Jesus knowing where He's going in a few months to die on a cross, and now the Father is saying, and don't you need that sometimes? Let me just apply it a little bit. I need my dad to look at me sometimes and say, and he does this, about every Sunday night, he'll look at me and say, you're my favorite preacher. (laughs) And you'd think you'd get, I'd get tired of that. But I'll walk out and I'm sitting there, you're gonna say it tonight? <laughs> Still, you know. And every time he says that, it's like he's saying, I'm pleased with my son. You need that sometimes. I need to look at my boys sometimes and say, You're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. I looked at Christian the other day and said, I'm proud of you, son. He said, What for? <laughs> Just for being you. And the Father. I know know I'm applying it in a a personal way. But the Father looks down at the Son. Jesus knowing I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to die at the hands of these religious leaders. Because you know this is hard for the flesh of Jesus. He goes to the garden and he says, let this cup pass from me. And here in this moment, the Father says, you're on the right path, Son. I'm pleased with you. Get up. Because Jesus doesn't have to go back down the mountain. He could stay there forever. He don't have to go. He doesn't have to veil himself again. He could stay unveiled and go down the mountain and judge everybody. But the Father says, you're doing the right thing. This is what we planned before we created a thing. Keep going and he looks at the, and this is for Jesus a confirmation this is for the disciples a confirmation he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do don't doubt it everything's going according to the divine plan and then he says this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased listen to him i love that do everything he says listen to him believe in him trust him when you go down from this mountain it's going to get rough you're going to get back in the nitty-gritty of things and again the plan is to suffer and to die and when it gets hard you listen to everything he says you do everything he says and that word listen doesn't just mean to hear it means to do I can tell my kids sometimes, I'll say, tell them to do something, and if they don't do it, I'll say, did you not hear me? Because if you don't do it, you didn't hear it. So it's not just listen, don't just listen to a sermon, do what it says. If you didn't, if you don't do it, if you don't apply it, you didn't hear it. So Jesus is the Father is saying about Jesus, listen to Him. Do everything that He says. Everything that He says about His death, follow Him. Everything He says about picking up a cross daily and follow Him, do that. Everything He says, you do. Peter, do a little bit less this and more this. Peter, shh. And I want to apply this and I'll move on to the last point. Because this is all confirming undeniably who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. But I want to apply this to you because I think we all need to do a little bit more of this right now and a whole lot less of this. A lot less talk. We hear so many, probably too many voices and too many opinions today. We are the most opinionated people in the history of the world, and we have platforms where everybody that has an opinion can share that opinion, retweet that opinion, like that opinion, and we can just, all those opinions are getting out there over and over and over. We listen to the news, we listen to politicians, we listen to friends, we listen to family, we listen to everything, and then we do our own talking about everything else too. We're all about this right here. And now is a time in the midst of a a crazy time in our world when we need to do less of this and more of listening to Jesus and doing everything he tells us to do. Shut off the politicians and listen to Jesus. Shut off the social media and listen to Jesus. We'd have a whole lot less worry and fear if we just listened to Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Maybe we should all just be quiet. And listen to Him. Him. Because He he is the undeniable man and He has the undeniable plan. And it's been proven here from the first two witnesses, Abraham and Elijah, and from the third witness, the Father in Heaven. He brought two or three witnesses up. He brought two or three witnesses down to confirm the plan. Let me give you the last one and I'll close. We've seen the unveiled glory of Christ. We've seen the undeniable glory of Christ. Now I want to show you the unforgettable glory of Christ as we close out these last few verses. Because their response to all this was right. Verse 6, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were so afraid. They fall on their faces. They fall like cut timber. It's just... Mouthful of dirt. So afraid. This is the right reaction to seeing any glory of God. When a sinner sees the holiness of God, the only reaction is to fall on your face as a dead man. It's exactly what Isaiah did in Isaiah 6. Woe is me. It's what Ezekiel did. It's what John did in Revelation 1. It's what Paul did in Acts chapter 9 when he when he ran into Christ and there was like a bright light shining down upon him and he fell on his face. It's what Manoah did in Judges. If you guys have been following that, he looked at his wife and said, okay, we're going to die. <laughs> we just saw the glory of the pre-incarnate Christ. That's what happens. And they fall on their face as dead. And then Jesus walks up to them Verse 7, and he reaches down and touches him. Yes. He's back in his veiled form now. And he says, get up, guys. Don't be afraid. And they look up and they see nobody there but Jesus. The other guys have fallen back into the shadows and one and one alone is standing there. That's exactly the way it should be. Jesus and Jesus alone is standing there, and the glimpse is, is over. And they've seen that day, and now they must go back down to today. They can't stay there; they've got work to do. So they go down the mountain. First thing come to my mind when I saw that, that it says, as they came down the mountain. They'll be coming around the mountain when they come. You got that song in your head now. It got in my head. It's going to be in your head too. So they come walking down the mountain. Again, they just saw a vision of that day, and now they must go back down to today. They saw what the future is going to be like. Now they must go back down to the present. They've seen the mountaintop experience of Christ in His glory now they must go back down to the valley where life is hard where life is a struggle today in church this is what I wanted it to be that we've all had this mountaintop experience with them and just for an hour you would think you guys would, we, we all would want sermons to be longer because just for an hour we get to forget today and we get to focus on that day Well, we're all going to have to walk out these doors in a minute Back out into a pandemic. Back out into panic. Back out into pandemonium in our streets. Back out to our social media feeds. We ought to all turn them off while we're doing this. Back out to to schools that are online. Back out to everything that's happening in our world of watching Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and all that they're saying and the the panic that's getting stirred up within us and we're all scared to death we got to walk out here and back out in that. We get to leave that day and go into today very soon. That's what they're doing as they go down that mountain. They've seen the heavenly vision and they they go back down to normal life. And boy, they've got a story to tell. Wouldn't you have a story to tell? If that happened to me, I'd be preaching it every sermon. If I had a story like that, every sermon would start out with, let me tell you, I was with Moses and Elijah once. Jesus was there in every sermon that's what I'll be preaching so they've got a story to tell I mean it's like it's in their bones they can't wait to get down and tell the other disciples look what we saw I mean I would be I'd be screaming it from the mountaintops and look what Jesus says and as they came down from the mountain Jesus commanded them saying don't tell a soul what you just saw don't say a word what? I can't tell nobody not even my wife I gotta tell her Come tell somebody. Jesus says, Nope, tell what you saw to no one. Keep it silent. Don't say a word until I rise again from the dead. Don't tell a word. Don't tell anybody this. Until I go to Jerusalem, I suffer, I die, I rise again. You say, Why in the world is he telling them to keep it quiet? Because there's nothing to tell yet. The only thing worth telling is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. And right now, if they went down, everybody would come to Jesus and they'd say, oh, he's going to conquer Rome. And they'd try to make him king right now. But Jesus didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer sin. Yeah. So wait. Don't tell anybody until I fulfill the mission that I'm sent to do. Shh. Peter, shh. I know you. You're trying right now, but but but, and and then they ask, and they start asking questions. Look what it says there. And wait, and then and then they say, okay, well, but 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 but, you know, they start talking. That's what we do. He says no. (laughs) But and the disciples ask him, and I say, when it says disciples, I'm assuming that's Peter. He keeps his foot in his mouth. He's just like me, me and him, man. His disciples ask him saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah has to come first? They're trying to get this timeline in. They're saying, if you're the Messiah, the scribes say, the scriptures say that Elijah has to come first, not after. We're just, this is our, our timeline of the end times. It's just not working out. You know, we do that now. But Antichrist and Christ and tribulation and we just don't get, and so they say, shouldn't Elijah have come first and not on the mountain? You see what I'm saying here. And Jesus looks at him and says, Yeah, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you, verse 12, Elijah has come already. It wasn't the actual Elijah that's supposed to come, it was someone like Elijah named John the Baptist who came before me. And Jesus says, He came already. And they didn't know him, but have done unto him. Whatever they wanted. You see that? They didn't know it was him and they killed him. They cut his head off. And they're going to do the same thing to me. And you notice that word suffer? He's bringing them right back to reality. Right back at the bottom of that mountain. No more glory. Now they're at today where there's suffering. Suffering. They're going to do to me what they've done to John the Baptist. They cut his head off. They're going to put me on a cross. Glory's over. It was just a glimpse. And now we're right back to the suffering. Right back. No glory. No light. That's over. Now we're at the suffering, the rejecting, and the dying. Down to the nitty-gritty daily grind. No more mountaintop. But get this. And they knew it. They said the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. And now they're at the bottom of the mountain. And every one of their faces is directed towards Jerusalem. Where in the next few months, we're there. In the next few months, he'll go to Jerusalem, he'll suffer, and he'll die. But he'll be risen again. And then they'll, you get to Acts. And Peter and John and James, they start opening their mouth. (laughs) And what do they preach about? John says in John 1, I think verse 14, and we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. And He was full of grace when He looked down and touched me. And said, don't be afraid. And He was full of truth. And we've done everything He told us to do. They began to speak it. And that mountaintop experience with Jesus in His glory, the glimpse that they, they got, is what carried them through from that day till the day that James was martyred and Peter was martyred and John was outcast on the island of Patmos and they kept sitting there thinking we'll be right beside him one day too. We can make it through today because we saw a glimpse of that day. And even even Peter writes, and I want you to turn there with me, One, one last place here. Second Peter chapter 1. Peter writes about this. I don't want to give you much of a background to this, but Peter's writing to Christians who are in a bad time. Their today was bad. They were persecuted Christians. This is probably 30 years after that mountaintop experience. And Peter's writing to them, and what does he write to them about? Peter writes this in probably 65 A.D. and he dies in 68 A.D., killed by Nero. But watch what he says in verse 12, and I want to read these verses to you. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance. I want, to, I want, I want you to remember this, these things. Though ye you know them and be established in the present truth, yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. I want you to remember something, what I've been remembering for 30 years. Knowing that shortly, I'm going to put off this tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. What he's saying there is, I'm about to die. It's going to happen very, very soon. Verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease. Same word used in Luke 9.31. After his exodus or his departure. To have these things always in remembrance. He keeps saying it over and over and over. Remember this. Remember this. Remember this. Don't forget this. I haven't forgot it. You can't forget it either. This is what will get you through the bad times. What does he say? Just get to it. For we've not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. He's telling them what happened. I'm going to die. But when it gets bad for you, I want you to be thinking about that day. And he says here, look at this. I've got to finish it. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Where until you do well that you take heed. (laughs) You may not have Jesus with you speaking verbally to you right now, but we have a more sure word. And you do everything it tells you to do. He's repeating to them exactly what he was told on that holy mount. You remember the vision. In the glory of Christ. And until the day you're with Him, you do exactly what He tells you to do in His Word. Let me finish it. A more sure word of prophecy. Where until you do well that you take heed, that you obey it. As unto a light that's going to shine in the darkness of the world. Until the day dawn, until that day. And the day star, rise in your hearts. Knowing that this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, any private origin. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the the Holy Ghost. It came from the mouth of God Himself. So you follow that, you do what it says, and you'll make it to that day. You see what He's doing? And I think it's the same for us as I close. We look to that day and understand that the best is yet to come. And it helps us to live today. So the question is, as Luther said, there's two days on his, on his calendar, today and that day. We look at that day today and understand that it's, it's approaching sooner than it ever has before. I mean, we're, we're, we're at the doorstep of that day, closer than we've ever been. I think it's James who said, behold, the judge is standing at the door. It's there. I mean, here we are. You guys know that. Look around. We would have to be ignorant not to think it's getting close to that day. So in light of that day, what should we be doing today? You with me on that? In light of that day knowing it's coming very, very soon that the judge is at the door ready to open and return with thousands upon thousands of angels and come back to rule and to reign and yes, to judge, what should we be doing right now? And the answer is, and I want to give this to you and I want to close, the answer is, number one, in light of that day, today, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to be saved today. I quoted those those verses at the start of the sermon. Today, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't wait another sermon. Don't wait another day. Today is that day. He could come back tomorrow. You better do it today. Do it today. Put your faith in Jesus. Full trust, full faith, full hope in who He is and what He did today. That's what you got to do today. Second, if you're saved today, and I'm pretty sure that's most of us in here, you need to go and tell somebody they need to get saved today. They may not have tomorrow. Say, Josh, why do you give the Gospel every single Sunday? Today's the day of salvation. Josh, I'm preaching to a bunch of Christians. I'm preaching to some people online who's going to watch this later on. I'm preaching to some kids here who's never put their faith in Christ. I'm going to give the Gospel every single Sunday. And I'm going to call people, you need to get saved today. Now. Today, harden not your hearts. But believe in Him today. And you go out there and do the same thing today. Tell people about Jesus. And then third, I'm going to ask you guys to endure. (laughs) It's hard. Boy, it's hard today. We're going to walk out there and it's hard. Goodness, I know. But keep putting one foot in front of the other. We're heading to that holy mount. We all are. One step at a time. So tomorrow when it gets hard, keep climbing. One foot in front of the other with an eye on today and an eye on that day. And we'll make it. Hebrews 12 says, keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. An eye on the day and an eye on that day. And we'll make it. Let me close with a, qu- a quote. George Whitfield said, and I've been quoting him a lot lately, that I, I beseech you, come to Christ. Do not let me knock at the door of your hearts in vain, but open up your heart, and the King of glory will come in. This day, this hour, this moment, He is ready to receive you. So come to Christ. If there's anybody in here today who has any doubt about where they'll be at that day. I urge you to come to Christ. Believe in him. Trust in him. Call upon him. And he will save you. Let's pray. Father we thank you for your word. This has been good for my soul this week. Something that I want to etch in my memory today. And I pray it would be the same for everybody in here. They'd highlight this passage. That they'd say, Behold, wow, what a passage. And that we'd live today in light of that day. And God, if there's anybody in here who's an unbeliever, whether it be a child or an adult or even somebody on the, on the online feed, I pray that today would be the day that they cry out and call out to your son for salvation. Trusting in who he is and what he came to do to suffer and to die. But to be risen again on the third day. And God, we all look forward to that day. When your son returns in all of his glory. And every eye will see. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.